0: Alright, Hosea chapter 2, if you want to turn there please, Hosea chapter 2, uh, Hosea is a love story, a love story unlike any love story you're probably familiar with, but it is a love story that illustrates the outrageous, unpredictable, yet steady, unconditional love that God has for us. Uh, if you've been around the last few weeks, you know that in the story Hosea plays the role of God, and Gomer, his wife, plays the role of unfaithful, adulterous Israel, And in this love story, we are reminded that God's love for us is unchanging. And even though we cannot live up to the expectations of that kind of a righteous relationship, God's love for us never changes. It's stable. It's steady because it's unconditional. This is a love story unlike any other you've probably ever read. So we've broken it down into pieces. The first week we talked about God's covenantal love for us, God doesn't love us because he feels fuzzy about us. You need to understand that because this is a very vast difference between our understanding of love and God's supreme agape, is the New Testament Greek word, um, sacrificial love. God's love for us is based upon God's desire to contract with us, to covenant with us. He's even willing to bear all the responsibility of that relationship because he knows, like Gomer, we cannot and likely we will not. The next time we got together, we talked about God's tough love. That's the beginning of chapter 2. In the beginning of chapter 2, Hosea is going to let his wife go out and just live it up because he can't stop her. He's going to let her taste the bitter fruit, the bitter reward of that adulterous lifestyle, and he's going to make her pay for it. Okay, There are times in our lives where God lets tough times come upon us to teach us a lesson. God can be tough in his love relationship with us. Last time we talked about redeeming love. The redeeming quality of God's love... Uh, Sets it apart from any other love we might know. You see, God's love is so profound. It is so sacrificial. It is so all-encompassing. Especially in contrast with our sinfulness. That it demands a response from from us. Uh, Redemption begins when we respond to that love. Now, here's what we're talking about today. Tender love. God's love is not only tough. But it can also be tender. It's tender when it needs to be tender, like a good parent. And it's tough when it needs to be tough, also like a good parent. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I've been called many things in my life, some of them nice, others not so much. But no one has ever called me tender. Uh, Mike, what's the word, Mike? What's the word? Tender, that's it. No one's ever said that. Uh, i got to be honest with you. I was a little concerned when this subject came up because I'm not sure what kind of job I can do with a subject like tenderness. In fact, I was so concerned, I threw it out to my staff in staff meeting on Wednesday. I said, guys, I don't know if I can handle this. The end of chapter 2 is all about God's tender love. Uh, when I think of God, I don't necessarily think that way. Uh, I'm not necessarily a tender person. And John Cook, John Cook, stood up, walked across that office, lightly brushed the hair from my eyes, put my hand in between his, rub me on the shoulder, said, Mike, it's going to be all right. You can do this. Now, you can't picture John doing that, can you? That's because John's not tender, okay? At least with me, he's not. Thank God for that. So I don't do tenderness. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't do it. I'm not very good at it. I just want to be honest with you before we get going. So the first thing I did was I Googled tenderness, and I looked at some of these pictures. This picture came up. I thought, oh, that's tender. I get that. I see that. That is that is tender right there. I mean, that that big old man's hand and then that little soft baby hand. That's beautiful. Check out this one, the puppy and the kitten. And everybody says, oh, because that's tender. See, that's tender. We see that, we think, oh, that is that is just so sweet. How about this flower? Look how tender that is. I mean, that's delicate. That's dainty. I mean, that's tender, isn't it? Check out this one. This is a tender moment between a couple, right? I mean, they're either like on their honeymoon or maybe their anniversary celebrating at the beach. Maybe this is the early stages of their love as it began to blossom. And that's a tender moment. And then this picture came up. And I can't quite understand why this would come up when I searched tenderness. All I can figure is that this old serial killer, that's his, that's his, his arm, he's cut off this woman's head but now in a tender moment, he doesn't want to drop it. That's all I can figure. I don't know why that was there. Uh, look, I think many men associate tenderness with femininity. That's why we don't consider it a trait that we're willing to pursue. When we think of tenderness, we think of our wives. We think of our mothers. We think of our girls. We don't necessarily think of our guys. Toughness. Rugged individuality. Success, accomplishment, individualism. These are things we associate with being a man, not necessarily tenderness. Uh, The closest that I get to tenderness, and I thought of this when Amy showed me this picture, is this right here. You know who that is? That's my little girl Roxy. That's my 125-pound Italian Mastiff, and that, make no mistake, is daddy's girl. Okay. when I'm coming home and Amy says, Roxy, daddy's on the way home. She runs to that window and she sits and looks down the driveway and she may sit there 20 or 30 minutes until I get home. And when I get home, first thing she does, she runs and gets her blanket, her little binky. I can't believe I said that word publicly. (laughs) Maybe I am tender after all. Picks up that blanket, comes to me, and I mean, her whole body is wagging, and she's holding that blanket. She wants to bring me the blanket, and I coo and coddle her, and I baby talk her as long as nobody's looking. Nobody's watching. Nobody can hear. Uh, she has my heart. I mean, I just melt. She's got the softest, most beautiful gray eyes you've ever seen. She is a beautiful, beautiful girl, but that is the closest I think I get To tenderness. So here's the big thing I want you to get today. At least one of the big ideas. Godly men aren't afraid of tenderness. While it doesn't come naturally to some of us. I'm not afraid of it. You shouldn't be afraid of it. Further, what godly men recognize. Is that our heavenly father. Is the perfect balance. Between the two. Tough love. And tenderness. God knows exactly when to be tough with you. And exactly when to be tender with you. The question is, do you? Godly men understand that God is the perfect balance of tenderness. And that becomes our model as husbands. It becomes our model as a father. Uh, It becomes our model as an employer, as a coach, as a school teacher. Sometimes, men, you need to be tough, even rigid, unflexible. You need to hold your ground and you need to be willing to fight. Okay, that comes naturally to some of us. But there are other times you need to be flexible, you need to be moldable, you need to be tender. The tough part is knowing the difference. Now what I want to help you do before we get into this, is I want to help you understand why this may not come naturally to you. Male or female, young or old, this may not come naturally to you. While God is the perfect balance and blend of tough love and tenderness, some of us are not. Now why? Well, it's because we're all wired differently. The Bible says this, we are wired individually with a specific personality bent. Psalm 139 was written by David, David of the Old Testament, the shepherd David turned King David. And in Psalm 139, David says this, Lord, you know me. Now, the Hebrew word for know there is not just casual knowledge. God doesn't simply know that you exist. God intimately knows every detail about you. David goes on to explain. You created my inmost being. So on top of knowing all of the significant things about my life, all of the insignificant things about my life that David lists, he now says, you created not just my frame, not just that I'm tall or that I'm this or that or the other. You created my inmost being. You knit me together. What a precise And purposeful process is knitting. I used to watch my grandmother knit. And I never had any interest because I don't have enough patience to sit there and do that. I don't want to start with a ball of wine and do this for like 17 nights in a row and look, I got a baby's blanket. Well, good for you. I'll go buy one. But a very precise, it's a very precise, it's a very uh, purposeful process. If you don't do it right, wiggle those sticks right, you're not going to wind up with what you want to wind up with. That's what David's saying. David's saying, you didn't just throw me together on a whim. You took your time. You wove me together. He says, now, my frame is not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Now that's the exterior. God decided whether or not you were going to be tall or not so tall whether or not you were going to be slender or, let's call it, big-boned. God decided whether or not you would be outgoing or whether or not you would be more reserved. God decided whether or not you would be more task-oriented or or, or maybe people-oriented. God decided that, and Psalm 139 reveals that. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. So search me, O God, and know my heart Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What God is saying is, God, you wired me on purpose. You wired me this way on purpose. So if tenderness comes naturally to you, God made you that way. Don't pat yourself on the back because you're so tender. God wired you that way. But on the other hand, if tenderness isn't your strong suit, if it's difficult for you to make yourself vulnerable in that way, don't beat yourself up over it either. Aspire to it. Don't be afraid of it. Recognize it's an attribute of God, but don't beat yourself up over it either because God didn't make you that way. He made you another way. Now look, this is kicker, and I want you to get this. Because on some level, the faith walk, your individual process of trying to walk out following Christ, the faith walk is about maximizing those God-given strengths while minimizing those personal weaknesses. You see? You see, stop and think about it. What does God do with you after he saves you, redeems you, ransoms you? He begins to grow you, does he not? Well, how does he grow you? Well, he cleans up your life. Well, what happens when you take care of the big things? What does he do next? This He starts helping you maximize those God-given strengths while minimizing some of those personal weaknesses. That's how we grow. That's what the fruits of the Spirit are all about. Remember Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and following? The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There are people in this audience to whom self-control comes very easily. God wired you to be self disciplined. There are others. It is like pulling teeth to get them to exercise. It is like pulling teeth to get them to balance their checkbook. It is like pulling teeth to do get them to exercise self discipline. Why? Because God didn't wire them that way. Conversely, there are joyful people in this place. I mean joyful people. They are always up. They are always happy. God seemed to wire you that way. But when it comes to self-control, or maybe when it comes to faithfulness at a task or a duty, not so much. There are people who are wired to be patient because God wired you that way. There are others of us. God didn't wire me with patience. I have to work at patience. And you might have to work at it as well. But on some level, that's what God's Spirit is doing in me. That's what God's Spirit is doing in every child of God. He's helping you maximize those strengths of love or joy. But He's also helping you find peace when you're a naturally critical person. Or He's also helping you find gentleness with others when you're a naturally demanding or domineering kind of person. That's what the faith book is all, faith walk is all about on some level. Now, I've told you this before, it comes up quite often. I use this information weekly, if not daily. It comes up in my counseling. I use it with my staff. This is part of understanding how the world works. We have been studying the psychology of the human brain long enough to know that people are wired one of four different ways. You ever heard somebody say, hey, he's a type A personality, watch out for him, you know? Uh, that's because there are four different ways of wiring. God gave you one of four different autopilots to get you through life. You are programmed this way. And it's very helpful. It's very useful if you not only understand how you're wired, but it's also useful if you understand who, how people close to you are wired as well. For instance, my wife's autopilot does not fly in the same direction as mine. Right? But hers is every bit as valid, every bit as valuable, every bit as God-given as mine. The reason we disagree in a relationship, working, marriage, or otherwise, is because my personality bent takes me in this direction, while your personality bent takes you in that direction. That's what creates our differences. That's what creates our struggles. There are four ways. I like to use the DISC model, D-I-S-C. High D, high I, high S, and high C. This is what it looks like. If you are high D, now what does a high D person look like? Usually a high D person favors accomplishment, accomplishing tasks over time with people. In other words, if your life and personality is a pie, you are a little more shaded in task orientation than you are people orientation. If you are task oriented, it feels good at the end of the day to check off your list. Okay? Got it done. Got it done. Got it done. Man, that feels good. If you're task oriented like I am... On a day off, I don't want to spend it with a bunch of people. I work with people, so when it's my time and my plane gets to fly where it wants to fly, I want to be alone and I want to accomplish something. If you're people-oriented, on the other hand, if you're people-oriented, then you'd much rather go out with people than check things off your list. Whatever you've got to do today can be done tomorrow, so-and-so called, and we're all going out for pizza. That's a people-oriented person. Now, if you are task-oriented and you are outgoing as opposed to reserved, a little more outgoing than you are reserved, then you are very likely a high D personality type. Now listen to these D words because some of you are married, God help you, to high D's. Okay? Determined. Demanding. Decisive. Doer. I would add, Dominant, I would add diligent. These D words sum up some of you to a T. You are so determined. God made you that way. Psalm 139, He wired your inmost being to be naturally determined. I'm not going to pat you on the back for that. You don't even have to work at that. What you've got to work at. It's patience because you're so driven and you're so demanding of yourself and others. And you're so determined that you want to break down every wall and accomplish all of your goals overnight. It takes patience sometimes to make it work in this life. Now, flip it. Let's say instead of being people or uh, task oriented, you're people oriented, but you're still outgoing Your idea of a good evening is not to be alone, at home, accomplishing work. Your idea is to be out with people, hanging out. Man, we're close. we got strong relationships. That matters to you supremely. Well, if you are people-oriented and a little more outgoing than you are reserved, then you are most likely the high I. Listen to the I words. Inspirational. Intrapersonal. Interchangeable. Impressive. High-eye people make awesome salespeople because they're able to be what the client needs them to be. They're interchangeable. They're also interpersonal. See? High-eye people, I would add, they are influencing. They have the ability to pick up a room, brighten up a room. They can also be brought down by others. High-eye people care greatly what others think about them because they want to be impressive to you. Those are high-eyes. You are married to a high-eye, or you are yourself a high-eye and those I words, there are one or two of them. Oh, my goodness, that is so my husband. Or, oh, that is so my wife. Here's number three. If you are primarily people-oriented but reserved, far more than outgoing, you are very likely a high S personality type or style. Listen to these S words. You're stable. This is my wife. This is so my wife. Anybody that knows Amy knows that Amy doesn't like to rock the boat. She's stable. She's stable. She's sentimental. She is submissive. She would rather me take the lead. She would rather be a follower than in the spotlight. She would rather work behind the scenes with your children than ever get up on the stage under a light because she's submissive and she's status quo. Just leave it the same. If it's not broken, why are you trying to fix it? Okay, stable, steadiness. These are high S personality traits and they came from God. You are naturally wired that way. Here's the last one. If you are primarily task oriented more than people and primarily reserved more than outgoing, you're the high C. Which means that God wired you naturally to be cautious naturally, to be critical. Not necessarily critical in a bad way. It can be critical in a good way. When you walk into a restaurant or you walk into someone's home, if you're a high C, you probably recognize those things that are out of place or those things that could have been done better or those things you don't like before you recognize those things that you do. That's because God gave you a natural, critical streak. If you're going to do it, you're going to do it right. That's the last C word, competent. High C people always look before they leap. In fact, they might look seven or eight times. See, High D people don't because they're demanding, they're decisive, and they want to do. So they leap before they look. Meanwhile, all the high C's are closing their eyes because they know the best course of action is to sit down, put pencil to paper, and figure out this thing. That's a high C. So now, D-I-S-C. God wired you as one of those, with one of those uh, character, characteristics driving your life. That's determining your autopilot. For instance, when I take a personality profile, it's about a thirty-page disk profile, and you may have done something like this: you answer hundreds of those questions, one to five. Oh, that's always me. That's not at all like me. That sort of thing. Here's what my chart looks like. Okay. I am highest in the D category because these things come naturally to me. These things determine how I see the world and where my plane wants to fly. I'm next highest in the I category. That's part of my work. I don't think I could be an effective minister if I was just demanding, just decisive, and just a doer. There are times as a minister, you have to be patient. There are times as a minister, you have to be inspirational. You have to try to lift people up. There are times as a minister that you have to be influencing over others, and you will be influenced by others. So when I take the profile, I'm highest in D, next highest in I, and notice, I have very, very little S and C. I'm not big into stability. My wife loves to keep things stable. If it's not broken, why are you fixing it? Meanwhile, about every five or six months, I just have to rearrange the furniture in the den because I'm tired of sitting in the same place watching the same television. I love change. I love to shake it up. I love to flip it over and see how it lands. Not so much for the high S. That's because I have so little of the high S in me and I have almost no high C. Almost no caution Almost no competence. I know you love to hear that. Almost no critical this, that, or the other. Uh, Now, what's interesting about this is I fell in love with a person whose chart is exactly opposite mine. She has almost no D. Amy, I don't think can be very demanding. I don't know if you've been a part of this church for very long that you've ever seen my wife decisive or demanding. She is certainly not dominant, she has very little D. She has very little I, but she has a whole lot of F's and she has a whole lot of C. And it's very interesting, especially when you read James, uh, Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, when God created men and women, He did so that we might complete one another, that we might complement one another. I will tell you after 25 years married to my wife, she has made me more stable and more cautious than I ever could have been on my own. She has made me more sentimental. She has given me more compassion. She has given me more awareness of the needs of others than I ever could have found on my own. That's because she compliments me and I'd like to think that I compliment her. Now, everybody favors one of those four areas. That's what determines where your plane is trying to fly. If you took the profile and it came out flat like this next one, we would say you have a personality disorder. Really, I'm I'm being serious. If, if you took the profile and it came out flat, we would say, I need to start setting up appointments for you because you have a personality disorder. The point I'm trying to make is, all of us favor one over another. And guess what? Your personality bent, your wiring also influences you As to how you approach God, how you view God, how you see God. If you talk to a high D and say, tell me the most important thing about God. What's the best thing about God? A high D is going to say, God can do anything. God is omnipotent. He is all power. He's not afraid of nothing. Excuse the grammar. Talk to a high I. What's the most important thing about God? God loves me. God is my companion. Talk to a high S like my wife. What is the most important thing about God, Amy? He is my father. He's loyal. He's dependable. He's stable. I can count on him and depend on. Talk to a high C. What's the biggest thing about God? What's the most important thing? What is your starting point when you begin to contemplate the idea of God? And a high C will tell you something like, God knows everything. God has all the answers. If we would just listen to God, He'd show us how to better our lives because He can show us the way. Now, I tell you what's fascinating to me. This interests me. I'm sorry if it doesn't interest you. I'm almost done. I like looking at Bible characters and figuring out where they are. David, for instance, in the Old Testament, classic high I with a little bit of D thrown in there. Paul, the apostle of the New Testament, classic high D. Who else goes from persecutor of the apostles to leader of the apostles in a short period of time? A high D does that. Thomas, the doubter. You say he's risen, I'll believe it when I can see it with my own eyes. High C. I'm not ready to jump on this resurrection bandwagon, Thomas said, until I can sift through the evidence and make a competent decision. And then John, the disciple Jesus loved. The disciple who at the cross, he said, John, take care of my mother. Why? Because John was the high S, the stable, the steady, the sentimental leader. Now, what's cool about Jesus is whenever Jesus needed to be one or the other, he could. Jesus wasn't all one thing. The reason I can identify those biblical characters as, oh, he's definitely a high I, he is definitely a high C, is because we tend to favor one over the others. Jesus wasn't like that. In fact, if you're a note taker, you want to write down these passages. In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus clears out the temple because they've made it a den of thieves. This this prophet from Nazareth comes in there cracking a whip, kicking over the tables, running out these money changers. That's definitely dominant. That's definitely domineering. That's definitely driven. And that's definitely demanding. He could be that when he needed to. But then you turn to a passage like Matthew 14, and he's feeding 5,000 people just because he loves them. Just because they're hungry. John chapter 8. The woman caught in the act of adultery. He sits down with her. And he offers forgiveness. And he's gentle. And he listens. And he doesn't judge. That's classic high-eye behavior. When he needed to be gentle, he could be gentle. When he needed to be tender, he could be tender. Then you go to John chapter 13. What does Jesus do? It's the night of the Lord's Supper. He wraps a towel around his waist. And he becomes a high s servant. And washes the disciples' feet. He takes on a role of submission to his disciples. And then you go to a passage like Matthew 21, and he's standing back and he's calculating his next move because he knows that the Pharisees are out to kill him. You see, the cool thing about Jesus is he always knew how to respond. Now, next slide. We tend to favor one over the other. If I'm D, we think in every circumstance I need to be demanding. You know what that kid needs? That kid needs his butt smacked. See, that's the way D's think. We think that everyone in the world should be demanding, and if we were all demanding, we'd solve the world's problems. Not so. High I's think, you know what, if you just settle down a little bit and be their friend, if you just warm up to them and, quote, build a relationship, everything would be fine. Not everything. High S think, hey, what we need to do is nothing, because it's really not that bad. Leave it the way it is. And a high C will always have something to pick apart. Criticize something that could be better. Something that's less than ideal. We tend to favor one over the other. Now guess what happens. When we let one of those characteristics dominate. Let's say we're demanding. And we let our demanding nature dominate. It quickly becomes a weakness. Who wants to follow a demanding person? In any relationship. In any church. If we... Allow ourselves to be interchangeable. We're always changing. If it's up, we're up. If it's down, we're down. We lose a sense of who we are. We lose a sense of purpose. If we're so stable, high S, that we're stubborn and unwilling to change, unflexible, we never try new things. And if we're always waiting for things to be perfect before we engage them, before we try them, high C, we may never do anything. Here's the other big idea, and then we'll quit. God knows when to be tough and when to be tender. Do I? Do I? Let me read to you just three verses from Hosea chapter 2. Remember in the beginning of the chapter, God is hemming her in. God's going to make her pay. God's going to make her understand. She's made poor choices. But look what he says in verse 14. Now I'm going to allure her. You see that? Now I'm going to allure her. I'm going to lead her into the wilderness and I'm going to speak, what's the next word? Tenderly to her. Skip down to verse 21. After she responds... After she realizes, look what verse 21 says. In that day when she realizes, I'm going to respond, God says. I'm going to respond to the skies and they're going to respond to the earth. And the earth is going to respond to the grain, the new wine and the olive oil. They're going to respond to Jezreel, verse 23. And I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show, watch this, I will show my love to the one I called Not my loved one. Remember in the beginning of chapter 2, he said, Someone stand up and point out the obvious. You're not my wife because you don't act like a wife. Now he's changing his tune. He's saying, I'm going to tell the one I love that I love her. Because before I told her, you're not my loved one. I'm going to say to those called not my people, You know what? You are my people. And they're going to say, you are my God. God is the perfect balance between the two. Tough love. Tender love. Tough love. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Don't deceive yourself. You can't mock God. You're going to reap what you sow, man. That's tough love. Luke 15. Tender love. The father waiting in the field as the prodigal son returns. And the father plays the role of God and welcomes him with open arms and kisses him and throws a party for him. Because his love is perfectly balanced. And you need to know that. Think about things like justice and mercy. Think about things like discipline and forgiveness. God isn't always about teaching us a lesson. Sometimes He's just willing to erase the offense. And let's move on. That's beautiful. Any good parent understands that process. Worshiping companionship. There's a big one. God is not only the object of my worship. I fear Him. I revere Him. He will also be my companion. He listens to me when I pray. And then action and waiting. Here's the big deal. The blessing in a message like this is the realization that God's love is tender. Some of you need to know that. Some of you, like me, need to remember that. God's not this big judge always watching, ready to smack you when you get out of line. God is a heavenly Father who loves you, regardless of what you've done, regardless of the stain on your life. God is willing to forgive you and reinstate that relationship. And He can do it today. Now, the real challenge in a message like this is realizing that That's kind of our model. We're supposed to do the same. We're supposed to know when to be tough and when to be tender. We're supposed to know when to demand justice and when to offer mercy. How do we know? By staying close to the Father. So that's what I leave you with. Stay close to the Father. And the Father will take a demanding doer like me and make him merciful sometimes and make him tender sometimes and make him listen sometimes. And God will take a kind of a fearful, cautious, kind of a critical person. Hi, see. Maybe like you. And cause you to step up and take leadership and assume the responsibility. That's what God can do. And I pray he does it with you. Let's pray. Father, you are a good God. Awesome. Powerful. Yet tender. Merciful. Open our eyes, Father, that we might get a bigger glimpse of who you are. Forgive us for pigeonholing our idea of you. You're either all of this or all of that. God, help us recognize you are the perfect wholeness, completion of balance. Teach us to be tough when we need to be tough, Father. And show us when to be tender when we need to be tender, I pray. In Christ's name, amen. Hey, God bless you, Grace Community Church. Great to see you today. I'll see you next time.